Welcome. I'm Jim Persley, president here at Hinge Health. And today we have an exciting new episode of Pain Points, an ongoing series where I'm joined by leaders, experts, and practitioners from industry and academia to explore topics at the intersection of healthcare, technology, and innovation. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Brittany Barreto, the founder and chief innovation officer of Fem Health Insights. She's also the co-founder of Coyote Ventures and the host of Femtech-focused podcast. She's known as the voice of Femtech, and in today's discussion, we're covering women's health and how technology is addressing an area of care that has historically been underserved. Brittany, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. For any of the audience maybe who isn't already familiar with you, can you just share a little bit about yourself and your background? Of course. I'm a geneticist by training, so PhD in molecular and human genetics, but I had way too much personality to work in a lab my whole life. And so I started my first startup in grad school. Um, from there, I just absolutely loved entrepreneurship and I've started several venture-backed companies. I've also worked in venture capital, investing in startups. Um, and in 2020, I started a podcast called Femtech Focus, which interviews innovators in women's health and wellness. I've since started a venture fund, investing in women's healthcare startups and also a consulting firm, Fem Health Insights. So, so you might say that you are qualified to talk on this topic. Yes, between being a woman and leading the industry for the last four years, a scientist by training, all the above, all leads me to be a, a pretty good candidate to uh, speak on the topic. Well, thank you again for joining us. You know, pelvic health is uh, one part of the industry that Hinge Health saw was really underserved. And you think about the prevalence, you know, one in four women uh, have a pelvic health disorder, um, but it often goes undertreated. And uh, to help address that, we launched our women's pelvic health pathway last year and just expand the product offering uh, in, in recent months. And the response has been phenomenal. But, you know, we uh, know there's a lot more work to be done, both uh, here at Hinge and in the industry. And uh, there are so many women that just need to be treated for pelvic health. Um, Let's talk a little bit about maybe why we haven't uh, seen the um, seen the accessibility from product design limitations. Uh, what other challenges do you see uh, for solutions to women's pelvic health that have that have hindered adoption? Hmm. Well, one of the first problems we see is just the stigma and the taboo around pelvic floor health. Did you know that less than twenty eight percent of women who are experiencing urinary incontinence actually tell their doctor? 28% of women actually tell their doctor about the problems they're experiencing. And most doctors don't ask about how their pelvic floor health is doing. And so the first thing is the lack of adoption of new innovation or new therapeutics is simply due to the lack of communication between physician and patient. And that is really on this foundation of stigma and taboo of the woman not wanting to talk about it. But after that, let's say that women are talking about it. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of solutions out out there. And I'm so grateful Hinge does have a pelvic floor health solution because one of um, our biggest barriers to getting new products out into the mar market for pelvic floor health is the lack of predecessor devices. So anyone, anyone in the audience um, who knows about medical devices or therapeutics and the FDA, you need, um, it's a lot easier to get something approved when something has already been approved in the past. And then you can kind of reference that and say, see, that was safe. And now this product, I'll prove it's safe, but I don't have to go through as many hurdles. Unfortunately, pelvic floor health and women's health in general has been just so wildly underserved. We don't have a lot of these predecessor devices, things to reference. And so the path to market is just a lot longer, a lot more expensive, a lot more hurdles to jump through. And then even once you get there, 
one of a, another big issue we have in women's health is the lack of billing codes. So, you know, in America, we have this healthcare insurance uh, world where, you know, the doctors or it's actually not the doctors administration at the hospital, or the clinic, they have to in, input what happened that day in, in the doctor's appointment. And they do that using codes. And those codes will then correlate to the price that the insurance company needs to cover. Now, these codes were ba are based on solutions that exist. And so if you don't have solutions that exist in women's health, like pelvic floor health therapies, then those codes won't exist. And so you mm. can see that the, the lack of history in women's health innovation leads to the barriers today in women's health innovation. Luckily, though, we are knocking down those barriers every single day and moving forward. We're hoping that it would go faster and quicker and better because women deserve solutions. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been married to my wife for over 20 years or almost 20 years now. And I feel like we talk about a whole lot of different things. And it wasn't until I started working on women's public health here at Hinge that I realized the connection between, you know, sneezing, jumping jacks and women's public health. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, think, you know, I think to your point, there's just a lot of people that don't feel comfortable talking about that and, uh, and suffer in silence, which is, uh, mm -hmm. is really unfortunate and something that and that we're all committed. I know you are committed as well to, to helping change that. And normalized, you know, people just think exactly. it's normal to pee your pants. And it's like, well, actually the adult diaper industry should not be twice as large as the baby diaper industry. That is disproportionate. And also the fact that most people don't know that is another signal for how taboo it is. Right. But um, yeah, we, we need a lot more solutions. Yeah. When you, when you had first told me that that's, that really took me aback. I, I, I also didn't realize that. And, um, and that's incredible. Um, you know, so we talk about, we talk about the things around billing. We talk about stigma, normalization. Let's talk about product design for a second. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there's a, there's also reasons in with women's health in particular um, that they've been underinvested in. Can you tell us a little bit about how you, uh, how you've seen over the years, you know, product design being, uh, being lacking and being underinvested in? Absolutely. You know, we, um, we see that most of healthcare has been based on a paradigm of male. So 175 pound white male is the standard of health. And so everything has been kind of built on and around that. And so we look at females in clinical trials in the United States. We were only included starting in 1993. We were, it was illegal to include females before then. That blows so, my mind. When you first said that, I said, I'm sorry, did you say 1893? And you said, no, 1993. 30 years ago, the anniversary is next month, the 30 year anniversary anniversary females in clinical trials. That's right. Yeah. So wow. we've only had 30 years of females in clinical trials and not even proportionate numbers. We're still working on um, making equal numbers of females uh, participation in these trials. But then we also have things like animal models. It wasn't until 2016 that the NIH said, hey, when you do animal models based on disease, you need to look at both female and male mice or rats or whatever animal they're working on. Um, previously, before 2016, the only animal model model is male only, male only. And this is, includes things like endometriosis, which only affects a uterus of a female. And they were putting endometriosis into male mice and wondering why when the drug went to clinical trials and to female humans, it failed. And it's like, well, in the backdrop of science is based on a male paradigm. Of course, when you translate that into the human health, a lot of times it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And so luckily the NIH has passed some policies. You know, the 1993 Revitalization Act says females need to be included. 2016 was the um, sex is a variable in research was that act saying, hey, researchers, if you get NIH funding, you have to look at 
the the results based on sex. So separate the male results and the female results, whether that's in humans or in animal models, even in cell lines. And I know that sounds really simple and maybe even potentially obvious, but scientists have not been doing this. And so things that maybe, you know, the results said, oh, this drug is working, it may actually be working very well in males and not at all in females. And then when it goes to the market, you know, we see things like five times more side effects in, in females than in males when they take therapeutic drugs. So it's just layer upon layer of we we didn't include sex as a variable, um, sex or gender for that matter, as a variable in our product design. And what has it that led to is actually is, um, you know, decreased health outcomes. Um, we even see it in things like uh, surgical tools. Surgical tools today are made for a male hand. If you look at a male versus a female hand, there's actually not a lot of overlap. Our hands are some of the most different body parts between the sexes. And yet surgical tools are still made on based on a male hand size. And so your female surgeons are using male size tools that if it's supposed to be a single hand, you know, function, it, most female surgeons still need two hands. Um, similarly with surgical tables, uh, actually they don't go low enough for most female surgeons. So most female surgeons are standing on a, on a step stool. And when you think about that, I would like the person cutting me open to be able to be on the floor secured using tools that fit her hands. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's Thank you for flagging that. I'm going to ask the ne next time I have a female surgeon, I'm going to, I'm going to ask her, you know, did you get the right tools? And if not, let me know and I'll see what I can do. Cause yeah, that feels like a, uh, like you said, that kind of feels obvious to a lot of us, but, uh, but you know, up until 2016, um, it, it, it sounds like it really wasn't. So, um, so there's, I mean, just, the last five minutes, we just enumerated a whole bunch of challenges, uh, some of which are a little bit shocking. Um, but there are there are reasons for optimism. Oh, yeah. You know, I read your M Health Insights um, landscape report for 2022 and saw that pelvic floor health is one of the verticals uh, that you noted is currently experiencing uh, real growth yeah. and, and, and real investment. You know, why do you think that is? Uh, it's a, you know, a frontier that has not had innovation. And so sometimes simply uh, due to the, the desert of innovation, anything working in that space is revolutionary. And so we're seeing some really cool technology. So, you know, for Hinge, I love that it's, it's, um, it's at home, right? And so we talked about that stigma. And so the more treatments and solutions we can have for the woman to use in her own private location where she feels the safest, where she feels comfortable is a very high priority. And so things like telehealth or, you know, virtual courses is very, very um, innovative and supportive of these solutions. Another one is um, there's these companies, there's two at least in Canada that are actually sticking a um, little scanner up into the vagina, scanning the intervaginal canal and actually 3D printing a pessary for women. So a pessary is like a little shelf that actually goes into the vagina, helps hold up the pelvic floor. And these pessaries historically have been made in three sizes. And women have been told to try this one, try that one, try this one. Whichever one feels the least worst is the one you should use. Well, mm -hmm. these women have to wear this every day. And so there's companies um, that are actually 3D printing based on your vaginal canal, a pessary that fits you. And so that personalization, I like to think Think of it like Invisalign for your vagina. Um, and so this is that is truly innovative. Like, oh, wow, realizing that women's bodies are not all the same and that we have the ability now with big data manufacturing technologies like 3D printing to actually create personalized medical devices and solutions for women. Those are some of the most exciting things, I think, in women's health. 
Yeah, yeah. Personalization is is so important. And you talked about some other things there. One is just availability, uh, mm-hmm. specifically in, in pelvic health, which is what we what we work on. There's just there's not enough pelvic floor therapists available. Uh, even if you're not uh, embarrassed to talk about it or to go see one, there's just an availability issue. Then there's the convenience issue. Uh, there's the cost issue. Um, and, uh, you know, a little bit like mental health, maybe, uh, maybe there's also the stigma issue. And so how do we uh, help people, uh, you know, eliminate those barriers? And, and then there's the personalization. Uh, I think mm-hmm. we all want to be known. We want to be understood. Uh, and, um, and, you know, whether it's a, a surgical tool that's designed for somebody else, um, or, you know, try the least, most uncomfortable one. <laughs> That's uh, right. I, I think there's something about just being known and, yeah. uh, and it, it yeah. changes the way we interact with healthcare, I think. Definitely. The history of pelvic floor health, you know, is, uh, dilators, these phallic shaped, you know, essentially kind of looking like sex toys type things. Those were being prescribed to women for them to break up scar tissue in their vagina or to um, alleviate atrophy, which is like the shrinkage of the vagina. Once you go through menopause and you don't have that estrogen there to make it all um, healthy vaginal canal, these dilators are based on a size of a penis and like the shape of a penis. And yet the vagina is actually not open. It's not an open canal all the time. It's actually flat. And so when we start to... um, consider the actual anatomy of females instead of what we think might work. Um, it, it really does open the door for opportunity. And like you said, this is not a, a doom and gloom conversation. It certainly is a reflection of, wow, we've missed a lot of things. But I mean, honestly, what an opportunity. It's low hanging fruit. We're not talking about rocket science here. We're literally just saying, can we create a dilator that's the actual shape of a vagina? Like that is, that's where we're at. And so there's a ton of opportunity for entrepreneurship, for investment, for uh, financial um, gains. It's, it's really quite an exciting time for women's health. Yeah, fantastic. Um, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't invite the audience. Uh, if anybody has any questions, uh, if anybody wants to, to ask a question, just put it in the chat window. We'll do our best to answer as many of those questions uh, as we can in the time that, uh, that we have. Um, so we've talked about a couple of areas uh, of encouragement, uh, things that you've seen, uh, things that are already either in the market today or close to, uh, close to being in market. Um, but as we look ahead to the future, um, what do you think might be the next frontiers in women's health? I think one of the big next frontiers is mental health. You know, we've seen a huge um, growth in virtual telehealth for mental health. We see, you know, Headspace and all these different kind of platforms where you can, you know, uh, connect with a physician. But one of the things for women's mental health is that a lot of times we see it's very well connected to a phase of her life. So a woman might be experiencing mental health as a teenager, and it could be really connected to her hormonal imbalance or mm. her you know, puberty experience. Or we may be seeing women in their 30s experiencing infertility, and there's a certain kind of mental health or mental load that comes with experiencing infertility and going through IVF and you know, having to give yourself all these hormones, which can you imagine? I mean, we have PMS and like the day before our period starts, we're kind of sad, right? We're a little agitated. Imagine having to give yourself injections every day of massive amounts of hormones in order to pump up all your eggs. I can't even imagine how much I would cry. <laughs> I'm a crier, you know, so I would, ex- I, I imagine I'd be very emotional during that time. 
or you see women in menopause, you know, they're empty nesters, maybe their husbands even died, women live not longer than men, and they're alone. And so what I see the future, uh, one of the next big trends coming out in women's health is mental health specifically for females, and then also specifically cater to what you're working through, whether that be a postpartum depression, a miscarriage, or, you know, puberty, or just really bad PMS, that, that in itself is a thing. And how can we actually support women in their day to day lives that mm. isn't just, hey, put a smile on, keep going, you know, just put some makeup on, it'll be fine. Instead, recognizing this is absolutely detrimental to you in your daily life. And how can we support women by changing the way that the work culture is or changing the way that we ask questions in our in our intake during these mental health consultations. So that's my next big, really exciting thing, because I think, uh, you know, when your mental health isn't right, most other things can't can't follow through, right? And so when sure. we when we think positively, I think we have a higher chance of actually recovering or or being treated well. No, absolutely, absolutely. And you see it uh, with muscular skeletal pain and clean pelvic pain. The mm. correlation between uh, depression and anxiety, and and they they build on each other. Uh, yeah. The way we perceive pain uh, actually affects depression. Anxiety actually affects how we perceive pain, and pain can increase depression and anxiety. Um, but specific to women on that topic, do you think, you know, would you encourage companies like Hinge that are developing solutions for, for women? So, and again, in our case, pelvic health mm -hmm. to incorporate uh, mental health into that. You talked about postpartum, you talked about, you know, menopause. Um, are these, are these moments for us to, to better come alongside our members and support their mental health as well as their physical health? Absolutely. And in fact, it doesn't even need to be that complicated or hard. You don't need to start offering uh, therapy while the telehealth is going on, right? Yep. But simply saying, hey, I see you, you know, having a little message that pops up that says, hey, by the way, did you know that one in three women experience urinary incontinence? You know, facts that help her see that she, one, she's not alone, and two, that this is normal, and three, that she'll be okay. I think that's one of the things that women are um, always really concerned about is like, is this going to go away? I know my own sister um, had uh, some prolapse after her most recent birth, and she was really worried, like, is this going to be the way my life is, right? And doctors couldn't give her an answer, yes or no. And all, all she really needed was some support to say, no, it's likely that this is just your body in recovery and it's going to be okay. Essentially providing a light at the end of the tunnel. And so just, just short messages of, I see you, you're not alone, and this will be okay, I think could really go super far for women. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. It's a good, it's good uh, encouragement. And um, it, uh, it calls us, I think, to a higher standard uh, as, as developers of solutions specifically for women. Um, we're running uh, uh, to the end of our time here, uh, uh, Brittany, but it has been a uh, great, you know, pr prepping for a day. I, like I said to you, you taught me so much. Hopefully you've, uh, you've taught our audience a lot. I think a couple of things, again, that stuck out uh, for me was, uh, you know, men and women, again, we're saying some of these things sound very obvious, but men and women are different. And yeah. historically, there have not been enough focus on sex-specific research uh, at the product or at the clinical level, which again, you know, again, when you said 1993, 2016, it was, it was eye-opening for me, um, but there just hasn't been enough sex-specific research uh, or product development um, there's still huge hurdles in women's pelvic health, including the stigma around it. And just having conversations like this and hopefully 
um, dozens of, of other conversations all over you know, the world um, uh, at the same time. They'll help people get comfortable acknowledging uh, these mm -hmm. issues. Like you said, normalization. Yeah. Uh, so many people are living with these challenges. You're not alone. Um, there are, and, and it doesn't have to be normal. Uh, yeah. And that means that we can hopefully start to really address them. Um, and so I appreciate you uh, challenging all of us uh, to do better, uh, to be better. Um, and I think that's something that, uh, you know, that I've really taken from our conversation today and, and leading up to today. But uh, I'd, I'd like to thank you, uh, Dr. Brittany Bretto, the founder of Chief, Innov I'm sorry, founder and chief innovation officer at FemHealth uh, Insights. Uh, and to our audience, thanks for taking some time out of your busy day to join us, uh, either live or later. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of, of Pain Points. And as a, as a reminder, visit our links in the comments section to learn more about Hinge Health's, Hinge Health's Women's Pelvic Health, that's a mouthful, <laughs> program, or Fem Health Insights, uh, the 2022 Femtech Landscape Report. Again, it's a, it's a rich report full of a lot of information specific to women's health. Uh, and if that's an area of interest to you, I would encourage you to check out uh, the Fem Health Insights Landscape Report from 2022. So until next time, I'm your host, Jim Persley, and we'll look forward to seeing you next on the next episode of Pain Points.